0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Critics at Large, a podcast from The
1: New Yorker. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry.
2: I'm Vincent Cunningham, and we are all staff writers at The New Yorker. The show is a place for us to make sense of what's happening in the culture right now and how we got here. Hey, guys.
1: Hi. Hello.
2: So... I don't know about you guys, but when I think of some big themes, right, that might help us to better understand contemporary life, I come up with a list like this the relationship between nature and society, Um, the dangers, the attractions of technology, uh, the power of the imagination, the consciousnesses of children. Each one of these themes actually makes me think of a great artist, Hayao Miyazaki. He's a master storyteller. Uh, and the undisputed master of animated film, mm-hmm. he's made uh, movies like My Neighbor Totoro, mm-hmm. Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, and along the way, he's become beloved in Japan, where he works, of course, but also here in the states. For me, the rare magic in his work comes from how every single idea in one of Miyazaki's films—it's you know a plot point, a dream, a moment of horror—is expressed. Visually, before any word is spoken, you mm-hmm. understand what's happening because some terrifying or wonderful image will grab you by the throat. Mahito. Miyazaki is now 82 years old, and he's spent the last seven years making a new film. Mother. Have a seat. It's called The Boy and the Heron. It's a film about a young boy named Mahito who's grieving the loss of his mother. As he's getting used to a new life, uh, a new home, a new stepmother, he's visited by this kind of deranged, increasingly deranged, I should say. Yes. <laughs> gray Heron. Your mother, she's awaiting your rescue. Who uh, taps on his window, makes these weird visitations, and coaxes him into this dangerous, magical realm.
3: What is this place? This
0: world is filled with the dead.
2: It came out in Japan earlier this year, and it's in theaters in the U.S. right now. So today on Critics at Large, we're talking about the lasting mark that Miyazaki has made on the life of the imagination really everywhere across the globe, and how his legacy is taking shape with this latest film, The Boy in the Hair. Don't
0: let go, no matter what. Ready?
2: <sighs> we'll get into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So to start out, Miyazaki as a director can be a little bit hard to place. What are your first encounters with Miyazaki? I can tell you, uh, I studied Japanese in high school, and our teacher—shout out to you, uh, Fujisaki Sensei—she introduced us to these films as a way of as a sort of language learning tool. I I have lost the Japanese, I have kept the Miyazaki. How about you? you
3: Do you remember the first the first one? The first one was Totoro. Oh
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, and was your mind blown?
2: My mind. And my linguistic capacities were both blown. <laughs> they were, it was you
1: decided that you would never become fluent. You just knew in that moment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, just like That's if, what if, I knew. Right, if
3: fluency I would means never this, know never. Japanese.
2: <laughs> <laughs> How about you guys? Any
3: um, for me? It was. I mean, I remember hearing about Miyazaki when Spirited Away came out in two thousand and one, mm-hmm. and I remember not seeing it because I was like, "Oh, this is anime. This is like fantasy stuff." But then cut to like 10 years later when my daughter was young when she was a toddler and people were like, oh, you should show her Miyazaki movies. And uh, I was like, "Okay, I guess, you know, you're so desperate as like uh, (laughs) a young mother uh, for – any children's entertainment that's like not horrible, you know, and not like some horrible YouTube video or something. Right, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I'll show her Miyazaki, whatever. I probably won't <laughs> like it because it's kind of not my thing. But right. we watch Totoro, my neighbor Totoro, we watch Kiki's Delivery Service. And I just totally fell in love. Yeah. And have like watched, especially these two movies, Totoro and Kiki, like a million times.
2: That's amazing. Yeah. Alex, this Podcast is has become the occasion for your first yeah. uh, impression. Thank you, Pod. This season. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Pod.
1: I am a Miyazaki newbie, and when I first Important. said this, welcome. Thank you, thank you. That's so <laughs> kind of you to welcome me. And I have never really watched Miyazaki before. Certainly, I've been aware of him, but now I have stepped a foot into this crazy, wonderful, magical, weird universe, and so many uh thoughts. About it, but one that just sticks out right away is how very true to dream world these movies are. One thing that happens in dream life is very specific things happen without logical connection, Um, and I feel that this is often missed when people try to make movies about dreams. You know. I'm I'm no famously I'm no huge fan of Inception. And one reason oh, I hated that movie. And one reason I'm not trying to go out of my way to <laughs> run over Christopher Nolan here, but one reason is that In Inception, there is a kind of framework that dreams can operate in, um, and that's not true. What happens in dream life is that bits and pieces of the normal world and bits and pieces of worlds that we've never experienced or known emerge and start to mesh together. And if you enter a movie like Spirited Away or The Boy and the Heron, that is what is immediately going to happen to you. You are in a kind of um, lucid dream where – things make sense and then don't and then do. Um, but that was one thing that I that I really loved and also found true to childhood where, of course, things happen for reasons that don't make sense. That's we right. see their effects, but we don't really understand their causes. And kids who have, uh, you know, altogether pretty little agency over their lives are often left wondering what what is happening in the world that they're in.
2: Right, what's real, what's not. Yeah. And it strikes me, like thinking about animation right we sometimes we just think about it as a marker of a childhood thing or something like that this is for children something like that Um, it strikes me that these films need to be animated because you need the flexibility visually to capture some of this like strange irreducible non-realistic logic of dreams like it has to these images over which he labors for you know famously seven years in the in the newest case have to be sort of made in this way so, we've talked about how amazing these films are visually, but we are going to try to relate them to you, our listeners. We thought we'd choose some clips from the films that we mm-hmm. like, a couple favorites. Let's start with You Know Me.
3: Okay. Uh, yes. So, as I said, two of my favorites are My Neighbor Totoro from 1988 and Kiki's Delivery Service from 1989. Both of the movies are about childhood and growing up, mm-hmm. I would say. And – um, Kiki's Delivery Service specifically is about uh, a girl, Kiki, who is thirteen, and she's uh, kind of an intern witch, or she, she's an aspiring <laughs> witch. Her mom is her mom is a witch. Uh, the way it works is that when you're around thirteen years old, as an aspirant witch you are meant to leave your home and go off seeking your fortune and go to another town and become that town's resident witch and you do that by flying on a broom. And so as is traditional. As is traditional. And so Kiki has been struggling with growing up basically. And she goes to visit a friend an older girl which also the relationship between them um is a beautiful, a beautiful encapsulation of what it's like as, like, a 13-year-old girl to, like, meet, like, an 18-year-old girl and sort of, like, you know, learn what it's like to be a little bit more sophisticated and so on. Um, and this older girl is an artist named Ursula who is giving Kiki a kind of um, pep talk, I guess, about how she'll be able to regain her powers as a witch, but it's also about growing up, about maturing. Uh, So I'm going to just play this.
0: Why don't you go inside and I'll go get some water.
2: Okay. Uh
1: Okay, so I think we should say that what we're seeing is Kiki standing stunned, much as we are. Yeah, by a beautiful mural
3: that Ursula has painted.
0: I've been waiting for you to come back so I can try again. You mean that's me? Sure is. You know, you'd make my life a lot easier if you'd model for me. But I'm not very beautiful. What do you want me to do that for? (laughs) Come on, Kiki. You have got a great face. You're very Oh, my God, Ursula's
1: so cool. I know. don't
0: you be nervous. Sit down over here.
1: And now Ursula's drawing Kiki.
0: Yes.
3: Raise
4: your chin up a little.
1: Can we say that Kiki is being seen by Ursula? She's
3: being seen by Ursula. She's, yeah. In a deep way.
1: In a deep way? Yeah.
4: Without even thinking about it, I used to be able to fly. Now I'm trying to look inside myself to find out how I did it. But I just can't figure it out.
0: You know, it could be you're working at it too hard.
4: Maybe you should just take a break. Yeah, but still, if I can't fly...
0: Then stop trying. Take long walks, look at the scenery, doze off at noon. Don't even think about flying. And then, pretty soon, you'll be flying again. This is so
3: beautiful. Problems
0: will go away. <laughs> That's right. It's going to be fine, I promise.
1: I'm just, like, literally tearing up. Nomi is going to watch the entire rest of the <laughs> film. I've
4: watched it so many
0: times.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then she's going to start from the beginning and...
2: Listeners, Nomi is, in fact, tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Nomi, what's getting you about about the scene? I don't know. I just think it's such a beautiful
3: scene of connection and reassurance between these two girls. And uh, the older one who has more experience is telling the younger one, it's going to be okay. You know? It's like growing up is hard. Learning how to be a person is hard. Learning how to be an artist is hard. But it's going to happen.
2: Encouragement we all need. It's wonderful. Alex. Yes, hello. Do you have something that you'd like to show the class? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to try to describe in words, in 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 pitiful words, a scene <laughs> that <laughs> Miyazaki has rendered an exquisite drawing and animation. Um, all right. So Spirited Away, once again, is the 2001 Miyazaki film that won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. In Spirited Away, we have... Chihiro, who is traveling with her parents. She's an only child, relatable to some of us. And she's <laughs> traveling with awesome, her yes. parents. They see a kind of magical spread in front of them, grass, beautiful things. It seems to be an amusement park with all kinds of eateries that is closed. One eatery is open. Parents immediately begin chowing down on the food that is in front of them and turn into pigs.
2: Oops. <laughs> oh, no.
1: Oh, no. At I which, hate when that happens. Classic it's horrible problem. when that happens. Classic problem. At which point, Chihiro, um a number of things happen, but she enters the realm where her parents are being kept as pigs, and it turns out to be this enormous bathhouse. She is told by a helpful friend, Haku, that she must try to seek work with the coal master? What is, what is the right word? With the furnace master?
2: Uh, furnace master sounds great.
1: With a furnace master? The furnace master. <laughs> yeah. She has to demand to <laughs> employment with the furnace master uh-huh. because humans smell delicious to the creatures in this realm and otherwise she'll be eaten. And so she enters the furnace. And this is the scene that I'm trying to describe. There is a man spider... Mm-hmm. Uh, an anthropomorphized spider? No, it's a man with extra arms, extra limbs. And he's using all of these limbs and he is <laughs> reaching behind him with some of his spider limbs uh-huh. and opening these drawers, these beautiful wooden drawers that have bits of herbs and essences and wood chips.
2: Uh, four bath tokens at once. Come on, get to work, you little rats! Yeah, I'm Kaimaji. slave to the boiler that heats the baths. Move it, you stupid soot balls! Please, I've got to get a job here. I don't need any
4: help. The place is wrong.
1: there. Are a few things that are great about the scene. One is just Spider-Man. I mean, beautiful. <laughs> this is my Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Also, it contains amazing cuteness in the form of these little coal sprites, oh, who are these little, the little guys. these little um, coal widgets, who are just trying to like beep beep beep, squeak across <laughs> the floor, carrying on their tiny backs these coal bricks that then get thrust into the oven.
2: Hey, you runt! You want to turn back into soot? And you back off! You can't just take someone else's job. If they don't work, the spell wears off. They turn back into soot. There's no work for you here. Got it? Try somewhere else.
1: So many things are great here. But another thing is just work. Kids are really interested in work and what it is to work. And I love that in order to seek admission to this world, Chihiro's entire existence is now premised on the fact that she has to work. I mean, even as I say this, I understand the analogy to the real world in which that is very literally the case yeah, <laughs> for all people. But, you know, she has to work. She has to be put to the test. And that is something that I do think shows up in childhood literature, this kind of fantasies of work life um, and, and mm-hmm. also really hard toil, which ends up becoming a way for her to prove herself as a heroine and redeem herself. Um, so that kind of practical and fantastical... Mix, um, Yeah, it's very Little Princess or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, Vincent, what, what, what are some of your favorites or, or your very favorite if you're ready to, to go that far?
2: Favorite is hard. I love Princess Mononoke. I love Spirited Away. Um, but something that really kind of changed my view and deepened, I guess, my view of Miyazaki is something I just watched recently. It's called The Wind Rises, which was a film that came out in 2013. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a historical epic. It's about a real-life figure, Jiro Horikoshi, who was kind of the great Japanese engineer who created, unfortunately, the military aircrafts that were used by Japan in World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, an amazing uh, engineer and thinker who, when he was younger, uh, was working for Mitsubishi um, at the time of you know trying to create these planes, and they failed and failed and failed. And soon after this, in the film, he has a dream. And the dream is a sort of recurring dream. Um, he's obsessed with this Italian designer, Giovanni Battista Caproni. Um, and, and, and Caproni is like his hero. He's read textbooks in which this name appears.
3: This is a real person This as is well? another real person. Okay.
2: Um, and Giro has a dream with Caproni. And this time, it's about—the the, the substance of the dream is about technological um, development— on the one hand, and the potential negative uses of technology on the other. They're having this, like, fairly sophisticated conversation in the dream. Can I show you the scene?
3: Oh, yes, please. And I should
2: say that the, the dream takes place on board one of Caproni's great planes. So they're on a plane, up high in the air, walking out on a wing, looking out at the clouds, having this conversation. Cue it up, baby. Beautiful Italian river music. (laughs) (laughs) Which would you choose?
4: A world with pyramids or without? What do you mean? Humanity has always dreamt of flight, but the dream is cursed. My aircraft are destined to become tools for slaughter and destruction. I know. But still, I choose a world with pyramids in it. Which world will you choose I just want to create beautiful airplanes.
2: like that? We
1: see a we see a, a, beautiful, a airplane. beautiful airplane. Beautiful airplane soaring,
2: swan-like plane and, flying.
1: And I have not seen such clouds since Michelangelo. Oh,
4: I have a long way to go. I don't even have an engine or a cockpit yet.
2: Giro kind of throws the plane as it fits a paper plane, and it goes back into flight. It's a very beautiful image. This is my last design.
4: Artists are only created for 10 years. We engineers
2: are no different. Live your 10 years well, Japanese boy. So what's interesting to me about this um, is another thing that Miyazaki does a lot, which is talk about the horrors of... Reality, truly realistic things, Mm -hmm. um, as either a way of changing the way someone sees or inaugurating someone into um, a new sort of position toward the world or toward art or something else. At the beginning of um, this film, The Wind Rises, Jiro lives through the great Kanto earthquake, which was a huge 1923, I believe, a a huge earthquake that destroyed Tokyo and Tokyo had to be rebuilt. Um, And... Jiro sees the sort of the wreckage that this... Uh, I, I noticed Miyazaki is great with fire. And you mm, and yes. you see these huge flames flying through the air of Tokyo, like ash descending on the um, on the city. And as we'll talk about in The Boy and the Heron... Yes, which opens with a fire. It opens with a fire, opens with the fires of World War II. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and this is how uh, Mahito loses his mother. Um, so it's it, it's really interesting bracketing of war and destruction and carnage on the one hand, and on the other hand, the the specifics of the Japanese past, Japan's history. I mean, just to put a finer point on it, these planes that Jiro will eventually go on to help invent, um, are the planes that were used in the horrific Pacific theater of World War II, you know, horrible, unspeakable things done to Koreans and others, and which end with another technological horror, the bomb. You know the, mm-hmm. the the nuclear bomb. Yeah. Well, um, so it's like, what does technology mean? And I think it's a, such a an interesting way to posit that.
3: Yeah, it's like an, a kind of like an anime, animating trauma. You know, from whence comes destruction? Also emerges the artist or something. You know, That's
2: right. yeah. Okay, so we're gonna take a break, and when we're back, we'll talk about Miyazaki's new film, The Boy and the Heron.
3: Yes, and especially about the parakeets.
2: Oh, my God. And, and the pelicans. And the frogs. And the, and the frogs. And the frogs. Oh, no.
1: God. Vincent just did a frog.
0: <laughs>
2: Vincent just became a frog. <laughs> um, that's, that's the video that you guys will get later. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's that's an, on our Patreon. That's right. exactly. Uh, that's in a minute on Critics at Large from the New Yorker.
4: Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now.
0: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co/slash card calculator to see how much you can earn apple Card issued by goldman sachs bank usa salt lake city branch subject to credit approval terms apply
2: so one thing to note about miyazaki because his work looks so free and effortlessly imaginative, but the, the, the truth is that he's extremely dedicated to hand-drawn animation. Because of this, his process of making films is painstaking. Uh, they take years and years to finish. So about seven years ago, he started working on a new film, and it's in theaters now, The Boy and the Heron. Could somebody just give us, uh, again, a quick synopsis of this film? I will try, please, if Do I it. may,
1: please. All right. So the film opens in wartime Japan. It's 1943 in Tokyo, with the city on fire. A hospital has been firebombed, and um, in that hospital is the mother of the hero of the film, Mayuto, who dies in the in this horrible fire. He and his father, the next year, leave Tokyo and go move to the countryside where his father is marrying another woman or maybe has married her. We actually don't really know exactly what's going on. That's right. And um, Mahito moves in with his stepmother into this fabulous w- house. And how am I doing so far? We, Be, uh, this we, is You with me? You with beautiful. me? Okay. Yes, we're with you. Mito's father goes works in a factory where he is building planes. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and much, much like Jiro uh, Yes, in um uh, the wind rises, and much like Miyazaki's father. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, actually, yes. This film yes. is this film themes abound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, themes abound. This film certainly has autobiographical elements, um, and and Mito is feels really alone. Okay, the heron. Mm. A heron enters the scene, a mm. very beautiful, elegant bird at first. But after some magical stuff goes down involving Mihito entering this kind of forbidden realm behind the houses, this heron turns out to be a horrible, freaky man with a bulbous nose, basically wearing a <laughs> heron suit. And that is something I don't understand, and don't think I can understand, and I don't think I should understand it.
2: Right? It's 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 like gradually revealed that this is what it is. First, it looks like a heron. Then it has t- human teeth. And then we see this nose coming up from like yes, it, it's it, gradual. It, it's gradual.
3: It's gradual until suddenly like Wallace Shawn and Princess Bride emerges from the heron's bill. Right, exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, the boy and the heron, a wonderful movie about interspecies friendship. Kind of not, yeah, and kind of yes. Kind of, yeah,
2: kind of not, kind of yes. Yeah. Kind
1: of not and kind of yes. I mean, right. Mojito has at this point entered this other realm to try to find his stepmother, who's been taken in somehow, who's disappeared, and bring her back, and all sorts of adventures ensue mm-hmm. in this other realm? Yes, definitely. That's right. And so it's a quest. It's a quest. right? That's right. It's a quest. There mm-hmm. are a lot of... I mean, this is also what I found interesting because I was aware that Miyazaki is engaged with ecological themes and so on. This is a beautiful world that Miyato is entering. And, of course, the world, the real world is being destroyed and despoiled by war. That's right. Um, but nonetheless... Animal life is not necessarily kind. We already have not Freaky Heron Man. Mm-hmm. And then we have this army at a certain point, this kind of fascist parakeet army, where <laughs> these big puffed up parakeets yeah. will do whatever King Parakeet insists that they do. And they are out for blood, these guys. Yeah. Yeah. There's a charming scene where they're all like preparing their sweet banquet. They're sharpening their knives and they're cutting up Beautiful the various. looking cake. Yeah, the cake. And I think there are also a bunch of squashes and other vegetables that they're lovingly Starting to chop to right. yeah to go along with the main roast
2: mm-hmm. yeah that's right which would the main human roast right to be clear um, yeah. there's also a great scene where we're still learning about this heron
1: what exactly
3: are you I know you're not a normal heron
2: the heron's up in the sky and he uh, it I guess oh. at this point lands on. Water and then starts kind of running across the water. It's 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 webbed feet sort of skittering across the surface. Comes up. I shall now guide you to your mother.
4: Your what? How dare you? My mother is dead.
2: Has this long conversation with Mahito that ends with Mahito being covered from the legs up by a legion of frogs. Please join us. Please join us. Please join us. Join us. Yeah. they like come up as, as if from the mud and they cover him all, like all you can see is like his eyes and they're closing Join across him I think there's a good point where it's like no the animal world isn't necessary, necessarily friendly nor do we get the sense ever that they ought to be friendly you know these movies
3: because also the humans aren't friendly the humans to aren't them that, yeah, necessarily
2: these movies are yeah. I, I, the, what kept on the phrase that came to me after a while was humane but not anthropocentric Right, It's yeah. not about, you know, human uh, – man's conquest over nature or some sort of, you know, Kipling thing like that. Mm-hmm. It's about coexistence and its troubles, you know, that humankind is a participant in a, in a wide field and that mm-hmm. living together can get tricky.
1: And it also does propose this world in which, you know, what if humans were food as animals are food for us? That's right. What would, that, what would that be
2: like? And wouldn't that be just –
1: wouldn't, couldn't, yeah, yeah. It yeah. wouldn't be, yeah.
2: but so I, I do wonder how, how does this movie then for you sort of we've talked maybe about how it continues some of the work that mm-hmm. we've we've known and loved before, but where yeah. where for you does it depart?
3: Well, I think you know it's. I mean, I love this movie. I think my favorite Miyazaki, if I had to choose, would be the Miyazaki that's. It is about complication, but ultimately reassurance. Whereas mm-hmm. this is not a movie that you would watch with a five-year-old, maybe. Not if
2: you want to – unless you want it to ruin their life. Yeah, because it's forever. scary.
3: Yeah. It's scary and it's – it's a lot of it is about horror and a lot of it it's a, is about death. And uh, uh, it's a bit of a – more more of a challenging uh, viewing experience, which is not to say – that's not a bad thing. It's just a matter of personal preference. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, – but I, but I do think – One thing that I appreciated about The Boy and the Hair* and that I appreciate about um, Miyazaki in general is that so many of his works are about letting go of the fantasy of the mother, of the fantasy of total care, right? Mm -hmm. You know, his mother dies at the very, very beginning. Mm -hmm. And then when he goes on this quest, he meets a lot of characters or several characters that serve as um, potential mother figures uh, that he kind of tries out and learns things from before he can return towards the end to the real world and kind of come to accept the new circumstances of his life and and kind of move on. Yeah. And I think that's so beautifully done and something that um, Miyazaki is is really a master at.
2: What were some of the lines of continuity or discontinuity for for you Alex given um your your sort of more recent induction.
1: Well, one is I think a theme that it goes across cultures um in children's literature when it has to do with fantasy, which is the need to reenter one's own world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it 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 that is the kind of given. We can't choose to stay behind. Like Wendy and her and her brothers are going to come back from Neverland mm-hmm. and yeah. Alice has to return in time for tea. There's this tension between the need to escape circumstance and the need to return to it and accept it. And I think part of what the movie is about and some of its darker parts have to do with what is what we have to do in life, circumstances that we have to accept and live with. So he's given a book late in the film called "How Do You Live?" Yes, and I think all that – So I was reading about From this. 1937. Right, it's this 1937 Japanese children's book, and that is a profound name for any book to have, let alone a children's <laughs> book. Oh my
2: god! When I was a child, the book that my mother gave me was called "It's Perfectly Normal," and it was about <laughs> it was about sex. So very different.
1: Yes. Um, How do you live? That question animates the movie. And it's also mm. the name of this film in Japanese, not The Boy and the Heron, which obviously it's asking a bigger philosophical question. How do you live when terrible things have happened? How do you live when your own life has changed so radically? Um, and what choices do you make? And how do they affect you and the people around you and the creatures around you? Yeah. So... All of those things getting wrestled into this movie, the answer becomes you have to return to the place where your living has to be done. Right. And there's a – you know, it's it's tempting to stay behind or it's tempting to want to stay behind. It's certainly tempting as a viewer, I think, to right. want the character to forever inhabit this magical universe. Yeah, um, But those things have to be given up to accept this – Kind of bigger totally. moral obligation,
3: yeah. Talk about putting aside childish things, and yeah, in, in yeah. some way, you know, it's it's. It reminded me you know, maybe a year ago I wrote about this TV show, this Japanese TV show, Old Enough. Mm-hmm.
2: I Have, love that show, Jesus uh, Christ.
3: So, so yeah, so, <laughs> so it's
1: good. so for those of <laughs> oh, our well, list, I know the show you're talking about. For those
3: of our listeners who aren't familiar, it's a show, it's a reality show, I guess, or a documentary show, whatever you you want to call it, where. Uh, children as young as like literally three, you know, or like two and ten months. Yeah, some are young you know, think, some right. are like so young, um are sent on their own by their parents and filmed at it, uh, as they learn how to do errands. Okay. So they might be sent down the street to the fishmonger to get, like, you know, tuna for father's lunch, you know, or or they might go. A lot of the stuff is food related, yes, you know, going yes. to the grocers or, you know, it's it's like and they're babies, babies, you know. They've it's barely like, learned to walk. They've barely learned to walk. And sent off. And, you know, everybody is really helpful. Obviously, they're also they're followed by camera crew. You know, these kids are going to be OK. And yet they are left pretty much to their own devices. And then they have to carry the bag back to the house and the bag breaks and, you know, all sorts of hijinks ensue. But the point of this show strikes me as not totally dissimilar to, I don't know if to call it the point of Miyazaki's movies or The Boy and the Heron because those movies are complicated and have many points. But the idea of, okay, buck up, you know, you have to be strong and. Certain bad things happen, but you have to contend with that and go back to the real world. Mm.
2: We're going to take a break and then we're going to contend with some stuff too.
3: that show is crazy, that though. That show is crazy. I mean, it's great. I love it. And I love the voiceover where it's like, I mean, it's in Japanese, so, but it's like, oh, who's a big baby crying for mother? It's time to get back on your feet and walk to the fishmonger. Yeah.
2: Critics at Large from The New Yorker. We'll be back in a minute. Yeah, I'm really compelled by the discussion that we just had about just sort of teaching kids to buck up and the. <laughs> <laughs> not in a grumpy way, but in a heartening way.
3: And in, and not in a way that ignores the hardships. Of no, children. I mean, you can,
2: only, you can only buck up if you acknowledge harsh, hardships, yeah, right? Exactly. Like you can only exactly. deliver one message. It's like, not
3: repressing it, it's n- not saying. No, no, no. Go- oh, you have it good. Shut up and, and get up. It's like, oh, it's yeah, saying, it's here's, hard. here's the world, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a,
2: an outlay. And yeah. I think this might like sort of dovetail with something that we've talked about before when we talked about Martin Scorsese. Um, if you haven't heard that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it. Great uh, episode. Just about the the late work of mm-hmm. artists, people who um, have refined their approach, you know, film by film or novel by novel and, and, and arrived at something that seems final. It does seem... To me that this might be a kind of and I think it's been described this way by Miyazaki, among others, as a kind of goodbye uh, Mm -hmm. statement to him. And it seems to me that he's always been in contact. I mean, what you played for us, Nomi, from Kiki Mm -hmm. is a a similar thing Mm -hmm. in contact with the young, trying to relay messages. And here it's like an older person, a person that's kind of preparing his way to to leave the scene. Uh, We won't give too much away but at the end of the boy and the heron there is a you know an ancestor of mahito an older man who wants to sort of relay to him a mantle this world i've created and all my power every little bit of it originates from this stone
3: that stone so that stone is what created this whole sea world
2: and there's more work to be done Worlds are living things, and they can be infected by mold and bugs. I have grown old. I seek someone to be my successor. Mahito, will you continue my work?
4: You want me?
2: Right, to say, you know, you take up my work. This kind of, I'm exiting, you're entering, and part of your the, the rite of passage is, again, to acknowledge this difficulty. What... What did that part of this film feel like to you, the sort of um, this deep acknowledgement that children have consciousnesses that we all had and perhaps we forget too quickly and um, what's going on in the lives of children?
1: Well, it is very interesting to me that Miyazaki chose to be so autobiographical. I mean, I know that he has said he will retire before and kind of keeps popping out of retirement, but at 82, it does seem like this could i mean very likely is his last film so how interesting that he decides to return to his own childhood and you know, there, right. there is something about his vision of children. Like he has been called, I think, even Margaret Talbot in The New Yorker, um, who wrote a great profile of Miyazaki a number of years ago.
2: Back in 2005, I
1: believe. Yeah. So so yeah. a little while ago, it was after Spirited Away. Um, she called him like maybe the first auteur of children's filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think there is something so specific to his vision of what childhood is, even as it corresponds with all these other, um, you know, tropes of children's films or literature that that we can name. Um, So in a way, I feel like he's kind of going back to his own origin point for all of it Mm. and partly trying to show us where it might have come from. But it really feels very personal with this small boy, you know, this almost adolescent boy avatar discovering the wideness of the world during wartime in Japan like I feel like he wants to rediscover where it might have come from for himself, right?
3: Yeah, and I think too. I mean, again, I think Pixar, for instance, you know, has made Disney, let's say, more more broadly, has made some incredible movies. You know, I, I think you know we, we spoke of Ratatouille <laughs> in our <laughs> Frederick Weisman and, right, right, and, right, right. and Restaurant <laughs> episode. You know, they'll never forget. Uh, but I do think there is something about. um Miyazaki working from a perspective that's not monolithic American. These are not movies or not like originally movies. But as I, I was re watching uh, Miyazaki this weekend, I was like, oh, this is kind of like the Tove Jansen's Moomin Family, where it's an ongoing saga of these cute but uh, kind of sometimes selfish, sometimes idiotic, sometimes adorable, sometimes mean characters. You know, Janssen was able to to treat children's inner lives seriously, yeah. you know, and to think about made-up characters as um straddling the divide between children's entertainment and adult entertainment. Uh, and uh, treating both of these demographics uh, um, with respect.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems um, just in terms of other things that this uh, reminds me of. It, it, it I actually halfway through, I, I realized, oh, like this reminds me at least the setup of um, the Chronicles of Narnia, oh, which wow. is like you know yeah. C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. um, uh, especially the book, the Land which in the wardrobe is like form- mm-hmm. formational like formative for me. I've I've read those books over and over into my adulthood. And it starts, I just remembered that it starts with these children going to this house that, of course, has the enchanted wardrobe in it, Mm -hmm. but they leave London to come to the countryside because of the war raids and and the wartime bombings. Yes, Um, yes. Yeah, and so it seems to me that, you know, one lesson here or one, it's not a message, and it's never um, as simple as a sort of PSA. But in, in fact, it's a complexifying thing, which is that wherever you are, Whether it seems to be peaceful, whether um, things are scary or they're not, there's something happening somewhere, right? And that our lives are lived in this plural multiple way that like – and you have to learn this as a child that, you know – um, this is the—I I mean, I great. This is, I guess, one of the lessons of cable TV, right? You, you know, your <laughs> life might be okay, but there's a war on somewhere. Mm-hmm. Totally, there's, there's pain somewhere. Totally, and um, often that pain is within, but sometimes it's without, and you have to learn how to live your life along multiple tracks, you know. Yeah, and um, often you're
3: the beneficiary of someone else's pain in yeah. some ways, you know. In In the Boy and the Heron, and 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 I think also from what I read in the Margaret Talbot profile in in Miyazaki's own life. His father, his very own father, was um, active in the war effort, you know, mm-hmm. b- both uh, both in the movie and, and in real life, you know, building um, weapons of destruction for the actual w- war uh, that was going on at the time. And how do you resolve that, you mm-hmm. know? How do you feel about your own flesh and blood being complicit in— in this sort of violence you know how does mm. it trickle into your own life and how do you deal with it ethically um no easy no easy answers you know
1: there's a moral complexity yeah. that you need to learn yeah vincent what you're saying is really hitting me um it's so interesting this connection between the line the witch and the wardrobe and the boy yeah. and the heron and yeah. this idea of escape in wartime. And of course, we're talking right now as we see children being affected by war in such a profound way. And one thing that those two works have in common, and I think more than those two works, like there is these fantasy worlds, and I cannot stress this enough, are not safe. But there are places in which children have agency to act. And that is Mm -hmm. like the dangers are vast in many ways more present, you know, in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Those kids are safe in the English countryside. And the boy in the heron, he's safe in the Japanese countryside. Right. Nothing is coming to find him. But he is thrust into this world of non-safety. And the difference is that he's able to negotiate it. And, you know, that question of how do you live, it it has so many different valences. How do you live in any time? How do you survive? How do you, like, manage to live? Right. Um, And just that granting of agency to children, which I think the great children's writers or animators do, is so present in these Miyazaki films and so touching.
2: Have you guys seen the memes of Miyazaki like at his desk? No. Absolutely in a state of anguish and despair. Well,
1: no. I, think, I think one of them may have appeared even on your own Instagram I, this morning. I posted morning. one this morning. Yeah. Well, um, like,
2: I'm, I'm uh, off
3: Instagram currently, so yes. unfortunately I missed that.
2: Yeah. Well, he, there are like uh, these, these Honestly, mean, I found man. that so reassuring. Can you yeah. describe the image? Yeah. Miyazaki, he's like, you know, handsome guy with a beard and a mop of white hair, um, a vest on and over the vest, a kind of apron. And he's sitting at his desk, cigarette hanging from his lip. His hands like over his head and in his hair, just a total state of anguish. And there are many of these images. Some of them it have is, It is his, a
1: picture of despair.
2: Despair. And you know, there are many of them. Some of them like, have under them the subtitles of what he's saying. He's like, I hate writing. This is awful. And it's like, but if somebody tells me to quit, I tell them to shut up. Um, and it's such a picture, like, not only of the difficulties of the writing life, but we might like, make a metaphor out of this. It's just like, there's no resolution. You no. tell a story and it doesn't have a great end. And you have a moment of happiness. And something bad is happening far away, or you are in the middle of your work and something bad happens to you, it's like it's about difficulty. Mm-hmm. You know? Buck up
3: and keep going. Yes.
2: That's from us to you, listeners. Fuck <laughs> up and get on with it. Okay. Fuck up and keep fuck <laughs> up and keep going. This has been critics at large. Our senior producer is Rhiannon Corby, and Alex Barish is our consulting editor. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. Alexis Quadrado composed our theme music, and we had engineering help today from Jake Loomis with mixing from Mike Kutchman. You can find every episode of Critics at Large at newyorker.com slash critics. And remember that now you can email us. Our email is themail at newyorker.com, T-H-E-M-A-I-L at newyorker.com. We would love to hear from you. Now, next week, we're switching gears a bit and talking about the man of the hour, my hero. (laughs) Our hero. (laughs) Our hero, George Santos. And because we are a culture (laughs) podcast and not the political scene.
3: The New Yorker's politics podcast. Right.
2: Actually, you should listen to the political scene if you want to know about what's actually going on with George Santos.
3: Yeah, we won't be covering that. Right, if you want
1: to know about the, the actual <laughs> politics.
2: That's right. But meanwhile, here on Critics at Large, we're going to be tracing the figure of the scammer across American culture. And we want to invite you listeners to be a part of this episode. Now, here's how you can do that. Obviously, Santos' career in Congress is a thing of the past. But if you have an idea for what his next job should be... <laughs> Reality TV personality, international spy, bearer of the torch in next year's Olympics, just whatever. Send it to us at, again, themail at newyorker.com. If we get enough good ideas, we'll share them on next week's show. We'll see you then.
4: The Run for
3: Revogue is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah. that. We support that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very nice. Nikki? Yes? It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asha, can you hear us?
2: I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me?
0: We can. We can.
2: All right, here we are. <laughs>